Church, my name's Aaron. I'm going to read the Bible today. We have two readings today. The first reading is taken from John 1, verses 14 to 18. And this can be found on page 1509 on your Bibles, on the Pew Bibles. So that's page 1509 of the Pew Bibles. Starting on verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The next reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to chapter 4, verse 6. And this can be found on page 1646 of your pew Bibles. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with a surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have so much hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory, displayed in the face of Christ. Wonderful. Uh, well, good morning. I'll just invite you to 
take out your leaflet, which is going to help you to follow along. Um, and uh, just a small amendment, uh, point one B and C, I won't speak to. So if it helps you um, to be organized and cross that out in advance so you're not confused, do that. But uh, the rest of it, uh, you can follow along clearly. My name's Nick. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, um, particularly with students in the evening, and it's lovely to be with you. And we're back in 2 Corinthians this morning um, for the last time for a few months, and we're going back to a passage that we looked at about two weeks ago with Tim, um, but we're going to look at uh, kind of more thematically at it and dive into one of the big themes in the passage, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So uh, how about we pray uh, that God would help us as we do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that you speak to us. We thank you for the light of your word, and we ask for humble hearts to hear you now. Please be at work in us for the glory of your Son. In his name, amen. All right, well, the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes up a lot in this passage. It's mentioned uh, seven times by name, and I think as well in chapter 4, verse 6, it talks about God, and I think that's particularly referring to God, the Holy Spirit. So eight mentions in, in not that long. I take it that um, probably many of us at some point in our life have probably had a question or two about the work of the Holy Spirit and what He does. And that might have been when you were thinking about Christian faith for the first time, trying to figure out, uh, you know, there's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, what's all that about? Uh, Or perhaps further down the track as you're trying to um, work out what is a a clear and firm Christian faith. Now, um, lots of questions we might have about the Holy Spirit. The big question about the Holy Spirit's work that this passage speaks to particularly is this. Not every question, but this one. Uh, What does the Holy Spirit do to help us know God? Uh, What does the Holy Spirit do to help us know God? And to get us thinking about that issue... Uh, I'm going to briefly describe four fictional people. They are fictional, um, and they represent different answers that Christians give to these, this question of well, what does the Holy Spirit do to help us know God? So, uh, four, four people. Alex, first of all. Alex is an expert in Paul's theology in the New Testament. He loves to read the Bible and think about the history and the social world behind the text. Alex longs to know what is true and right about God, so he thinks hard about the Bible. Now, while Alex can describe what Paul thinks with incredible precision, he's not sure all of it's true. He has doubts over Paul's claims about the resurrection of Jesus, atonement, the concept of sin, and Paul's approach to ethics. And he sees these as superstitious and pre-modern ideas that just seem a bit outdated for the modern church. Alex has very little personal interest in the Holy Spirit, And he sees knowing God as an activity of the mind. There's Alex. Uh, Corolla. Corolla attends a local community church where she loves to meet with other Christians and come together into God's presence. Uh, She loves that God is powerful and faithful and everlasting and has given us his spirit so that we can know him personally. She loves to reflect on the Bible and it inspires her to live a God-honoring life. When she has time with God, she might read a bit from the Bible, but mostly she likes to just be still and to hear what the Spirit wants to say to her. She has friends at churches who are a bit more traditional, and they light candles and have robes and things like that, and she feels a bit stifled when she visits their churches, but she appreciates they can experience God's Spirit in their own way. There's Corolla. Mandy. Uh, Mandy is a growth group leader at her church, and she loves learning about God with the people in her group as they study His Word together. 
They spend most of their time talking about what the passage is saying because they want to know God as he really is and to be faithful to his truth and his gospel. Mandy has a few friends who go to churches that seem to be a bit more emotional and experience-driven and she feels worried that they don't seem to take the Bible that seriously, though she appreciates that it does seem to be impacting their lives. Uh, And lastly, Pedro. Pedro sees himself as a deeply spiritual Christian who loves to be in the Spirit at all times. He spends most of his day in wordless prayer, sometimes speaking in tongues. He's glad that he can be close to God through the Spirit, and he longs for others to have the kinds of blessing that God has given him. He looks forward to the day when he'll see God face to face, but in the meantime, he's excited about the visions and wonders God gives him and his church. And for Pedro, knowing God is a powerful spiritual experience. Four people, four very different people, and I wonder if you identify at all with any of them, with Alex Carolla, Mandy or Pedro. If you've spent any time with Christians, you'll hear stories like theirs in time. And I think it can be difficult, can't it, to know what to do with the differences. They're all people who, are, uh, who know Jesus, they're wanting to wrestle with the Bible, uh, but actually come to some very different answers about what it looks like to have the Spirit at work in their lives. Now, I think 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, uh, they don't solve every problem, but they actually do have some wonderful, um, they kind of sift through some of the, uh, the mess there and actually come to some wonderful clarity about how the Spirit works for our good so that we can have joy in His work and thankfulness uh, and to be, have some clear understanding of what He does. So, we're going to dive into it uh, and we're at point one, which uh, is called Revelation is an act of grace towards the spiritually blind. Now, um, that's, a, that's a big heading, isn't it? Uh, there's some big words there. Uh, one of the words that I just used is revelation. Um, revelation is a key word that uh, the Bible uses to talk about how we know God. Uh, it's kind of related to revealing. And the other big word, grace, describes an undeserved gift. And uh, I've included those big words just to give us a short summary of uh, a really important starting point for thinking about the work of the Spirit. And that is to say that, um, to put this heading in longer words, humans have a problem with knowing God and they need God to do something towards them to help them as an undeserved gift. Okay, now, um, the big image or metaphor that Paul uses in this passage to talk about people knowing God and some of the problems they have there is the image of sight and blindness. And so you might have noticed that he talks a number of times about uh, the image of darkness and light and of um, veiling and unveiling. We saw Tim pop up before with his wonderful light hat. Um, Paul's point about darkness is that humans are spiritually in the dark. By nature, we, we can't see God, we can't know God, we don't know what he's like. When I was about 20, I went on a family holiday to Threadbow, which is in New South Wales, in the Snowy Mountains, and we stayed in this house in the summer. It had a loft in it, and it was this kind of suspended space over the living area, and to get up into it, you had to climb up some stairs. And I remember in the nighttime, going up to go to the bathroom, I was sleeping up on the loft, and I decided not to turn the lights on so as to not wake everyone up, and I walked cautiously towards the ladder, and I was... I thought I could see the ladder about a metre in front of me, its shape uh, in the dark. And I kind of shuffled towards it. And I remember taking a step and realising that what the la- I thought was the ladder was not the ladder at all. And I just stepped past the ladder. And I remember stepping into space and going, dunk, uh, down onto the floor. In the dark, 
you can't see clearly. Uh, now, I was, I was okay, uh, in God's kindness, but um, that's a picture of us with God. We can't see Him by our own nature. And Paul, the way Paul makes this point um, might seem a bit strange to us. He, he talks about Moses, and I think why he talks about Moses will become clear in a moment. He's got three simple points about Moses. First of all, uh, we're looking here at chapter 3 um, from verse 7. Moses experienced God's glory. Uh, at Mount Sinai, we read in uh, the Old Testament, Moses met with God, uh, and God gave him these wonderful words that were to shape his people's relationship with him for the next thousand years. God appeared to Moses with such glory, proclaiming his name that Paul can say in verse 7, Moses' ministry came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. If you want to talk about religious experience, about knowing God, about encountering God, about God's presence, Moses knew God. God appeared to Moses. He had an incredible religious experience. And yet, Paul's second point, Moses' knowledge of God, despite being glorious, was incomplete. Uh, Moses and Israel didn't know the end of the law. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about the church or about the spirit or about the new covenant or about his resurrection or about God's new creation. There was a whole lot of things that were hidden from them at that time. And so Paul can say in verse 11 that the glory that was being revealed to Moses, it was temporary. It was being brought to an end. But not only this, uh, this is Paul's third point, Moses' glorious experience would ultimately not bring life and more glory for many people, but death and condemnation. And even Moses, Moses' face shone with glory. It was so bright and shiny that Israel couldn't really look at it clearly. And yet he was unable to enter God's promised land and dwell with God's people there because he didn't trust what was revealed to him. And Moses is really kind of sets the pattern for Israel going forward across the Old Testament. Genesis to 2 Chronicles is a story of God revealing himself to people and those people very quickly forgetting or despising what he showed them and choosing to remain in the dark. And Paul sums it up in verse 14 to 15 saying that while there might be a light outside of them, there's like there's a veil over their hearts and minds. The light's shining, God's revealing something of himself, but it did not penetrate their hearts. Now, Paul's big point, the reason he talks about Moses to the Corinthians, and for us, in speaking like this, is that if Moses and Israel had such a glorious revelation from God, and were still in the dark at the end of the day, how much more the rest of us who have had no such experience? We are in the dark. And we're in the dark, firstly, in the sense that we depend entirely on God's initiative to reveal himself to us. Um, God can't be studied in a lab. God can't, we can't bring him to us. He can't be measured. He can't be put under a microscope. You can't observe and reason through and analyze and publish him. He must make himself known. Now, um, just by the way, I don't think the fact that someone is to reveal themselves to someone else is just true of God. I think it's true of people as well. Um, so if I think about my children, um, when they were born, 
we knew very little about them. We knew that they were quite small and Caucasian and they'd probably have blonde curly hair like their parents, but um, apart from that, not very much at all. Uh, now I know that uh, Sammy, he likes, um, he likes toast and Finn likes puzzles and Mia likes uh, toast and puzzles and hats. Um, but I couldn't have known that unless they'd, they'd spoken that to me or acted in such a way by which I would know them. Now, if that's true of uh, my children as their father, that I can't even know them without some kind of revelation, uh, how much true, more true is that of God, who dwells in unapproachable light, who is totally different to us, who is our maker and Lord? If we want to know God, if we want God's wisdom for life, if we want truth about Him and His world, we can't just nut it out. We can't just figure it out. We actually depend on Him to reveal himself. And yet, Israel's experience shows us that even if God were to reveal himself, and he has, that we would still remain in the dark without some further intervention in our hearts and minds. Uh, We're not just like people in a dark room, like me kind of wandering around uh, that dark loft. We are like blind people wandering around a dark room because our hearts and our minds are veiled to God's glory. Uh, Jesus talked about this as well. This is what he said in John chapter 3. The light has come into the world. That's that's Jesus. How do people respond? Well, people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Um, When I first moved out of home, I lived in a fairly uh, dingy bloke's share house uh, in Sydney in the suburb of Kingsford, and it was great fun, Uh, we had a really good time, but it was also infested by cockroaches, Um, and the cockroaches lived under, we had two fridges, um, because in a boy's house you need lots of fridges, Um, and we had two fridges, and the cockroaches lived under both of them, and they lived under the kettle, and they lived under the toaster, uh, and they lived under the cupboards, and just about any surface there was to live under, they lived under it. Um, I learnt, by the way, at that time that Windex, Windex is a great cockroach killer because Mortine, they kind of grow immune and become super cockroaches after a while, but Windex just clogs them up so they can't get away and cleans the surface as well. Um, pro tips. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you went out at, uh, to the kitchen at night time in the dark and turned on the light, this really gross thing would happen where um, you'd see this sudden scurrying and all these like 20 cockroaches would be wandering around on the lino and they'd all scurry around madly trying to get out of the light and back to the darkness. And I think that's actually a picture of what this passage says about uh, our relationship with darkness as well. When God revealed himself to Israel at Sinai, the very first thing that they did after that was to go and build a golden calf and give him all the credit for rescuing them. Uh, When the light of the world was born to Israel, they crucified him. And Paul says, even when the good news about Jesus, the gospel, when that's proclaimed to the world so often, our hearts are veiled. And people would much rather have a pleasant conversation and scroll through their social media than to hear something from the God who made them. Uh, Humans are in the dark And actually, we quite enjoy the dark by nature. And that is why the work of the Holy Spirit is so absolutely vital for knowing God. Because humans, contrary uh, to that that, that first character that we met, Alex, 
um, who liked just to kind of think through things, and it was all about the mind. Humans are not wise and strong spiritual masters of life. We, we don't have a mostly adequate view of God with some need of correction. We're blind. And actually nothing that we can do without God's help and intervention can overcome that blindness. It doesn't matter how diligently we read the Bible. If God's not at work, nothing will happen. It doesn't matter how fervently we pray. It doesn't matter how ecstatically we worship. Not the Christian blood that flows through our veins from generations of our family. No desire, no longing, no hope, no faith, no love. Nothing that we can do can bring God down from heaven to us. We are blind people wandering around a dark room, utterly dependent on light from God, both outside of us and inside of us. The wonderful thing is that this, in Jesus Christ and by his spirit, that's what God has done. So we're at point two. God in his grace reveals his glory in Christ. Bearing that great and terrible darkness in mind, listen to how Paul describes Jesus in chapter four, verses four to six. And these are really the key verses. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Now, where do we see God's glory here? Displayed in the face of of Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful testimony of the whole New Testament that Christ is the image of the invisible God, that in these last days God spoke to us in many ways, but now he's spoken through his Son. The Word became flesh, the light has come, it shines in the dark, and the darkness has not overcome it. In Jesus' face, and face here is shorthand for his work and ministry, just as it was for Moses, in Jesus' We see God's glory. As John put it, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. And friends, that means that when we see Jesus, we see God. We see him in all of his glory. We see his grace and truth. In his life, we see what God is like. In his death, we become his friend. We can approach him. In his resurrection, we'll be with him face to face forever. God's glory shines in Jesus. And yet there's a slight twist in the way that Paul presents this fact in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Did you notice the twist? Uh, Verse 4, unbelievers can't see what... Not Jesus, not Jesus' face, but the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of the God. There's actually a step in between Jesus and Jesus' life and Jesus' incarnation and us in the 21st century. We have this problem. We, none of us, I take it, have ever physically seen Jesus. And so, we have this wonderful news that... uh, in the gospel, in verse 6, in the knowledge of the gospel, in the knowledge of God's glory, we, we have light from God. 
And that means, I think, that when we hear the gospel, when we hear God's word about his son, when we hear those words, which are so simple, Jesus is Lord, we behold God's glory. We see what he's like. We know him as he is. We can say this as well of the Bible, because the Bible is a word about the gospel. When we read the Bible, the word of God's spirit, we see God's glory. I wonder if you believe that, that when you, you know, 6.30 in the morning, half, half awake, stumble through these words uh, in that old book that might be slightly squashed because someone sat on it once, that when you do that, you're actually having the most marvellous, glorious, wonderful spiritual experience that God has chosen to give a human being even more than Moses. That this is a spiritual book. These are spiritual words breathed out by God's Holy Spirit that we might actually know and believe and trust Him, know Him in His glory. You notice Paul doesn't hold back, does he? He doesn't say, oh, you get some of his glory here, but there's actually more reserved for you at another time and another thing. Um, It's very, very big claim. When we see Jesus displayed in the gospel, we meet God. So I encourage us, those of us who crave spiritual experience, um, do you crave the gospel? Do you crave scripture? Do you crave the preaching of God's word? This is actually part of the Spirit's work. This is what He would do in you. And for those of us who are Bible people, I want to encourage us, do you you remember, uh, are you aware and conscious of the fact, are you filled with thanks that when you are reading this book, and maybe yours is a bit dusty and battered, when it's 6.30 in the morning and you're reading Leviticus, and even when it's a bit hard to understand, are you conscious that the God that no one has ever seen is addressing you in all of his splendor. Friends, the Bible is a very exciting book. And the gospel that we proclaim is a word that has the power to raise the dead. Friends, we can praise God. He has not remained silent. Praise him for his grace. I want to encourage us to be a church that reads our Bibles with joy and expectation. But what of the Spirit? Now, we've hinted actually at the, the, Bible, uh, the Bible's wider teaching that Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, it's breathed out by God, uh, by the Spirit, for our good. And yet, point three, there is a second, very closely related work that the Holy Spirit does, which is so that God's light not, might not remain outside of us, um, seen but not understood, but they might penetrate the darkness of our blind hearts and minds. So thinking about uh, that second problem we saw earlier of um, having an internal blindness, a blindness of the heart and mind, a veiled heart and mind, here again, chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Paul remembers there God's great creative power that when there was nothing but darkness at the creation of the world, God brought light that God has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ Jesus. 
We can know God because he has shown us his glory in Christ and because his spirit has come to work in our hearts, bringing light and life where there was only darkness. Uh, Paul goes on in a bit more detail in chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. He says, Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You hear here the gracious work of God that's at work in us by the Spirit, um, the images of captivity and freedom. We are captive to our sinful hearts. We're imprisoned by our own sinful desires. We're unable to move towards God and towards His light. And yet God the Spirit comes and brings freedom. Notice that the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He, he is the Lord. God the Spirit gives freedom. And it's not a freedom to live according to our own desires. It's not a freedom just to do life our own way. It is freedom to see reality and to live a real life. A freedom to know our maker. A freedom to be the kind of people that he has made us to be. A freedom to see and behold the glory of our God. And so you notice the way that Paul describes the Christian life. I think this is it's pretty incredible. He says, what are Christians doing now um, as we respond to the gospel? Well, with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. What a privilege to be a Christian. So what is the Spirit's work? The Spirit turns on the lights. The Spirit gives a work of illumination, of enlightenment, of liberation, to take that knowledge of Jesus and Him shining the light of God's glory and to apply that through the barriers of our dark hearts so that we might trust in His Son. This quote here from um, John Owen, who... uh, it's a, it's a bit wordy, I'll try and paraphrase it for us, but I think it's a really lovely expression of this. He says, No one who's ever known how God relates to them, even if they understand very little of His Spirit from His Word, the Bible, can say really anything except what that man that Jesus gave sight to said. Uh, and we all recognise this when we become Christians. I used to be blind, but now I see. So what does it mean then to honour the Spirit? What does it mean to recognise the work of the Spirit? I think it is about humbly, gratefully enjoying the freedom that we have to behold God's glory in the Son. People with the Spirit look towards Jesus with joy. So three challenges for us briefly. For those of us who hold the Spirit dear, I want to encourage you also to hold dear the Gospel and the work of the Son. Uh, The Spirit is honoured when we listen to his word. For those of us who love the Bible, I want to remind you that the Bible is the word of the Spirit, that there's no place for Christian theology or maturity that sidelines the Spirit's work in that process, that treats it like a a textbook that can be studied, that if we just apply ourselves enough, we'll grow. Uh, We are still dependent on God, even as we diligently turn to his word. The Bible is living and active. It must conquer us. And so we read it attentively. We open it and think about it and and consider all its claims with all of your mind. But do that dependent on the fact that unless the Spirit opens your mind and heart to see, you will see nothing. 
God, by his grace, speaks to us. Now, finally, for those of us who are just starting to think about the Bible and uh, Christian faith, perhaps for the first time, and it's all very new, uh, what has this all got to do? My, my encouragement for you is to, to say, um, you can know God. It's possible for you to know God. And uh, the way that you're going to come to know God is not actually through that work of investigating and thinking and weighing up the evidence that you will do. God will use all of that, uh, but the way that God will make himself known to you is because he is pleased to and he loves to make himself known. So I would encourage you, if that's you, to ask God that he would show you his glory, that he would open your eyes so that you too, being someone who was blind, might also see. So I want to finish by describing a fifth person um, and their view of the Spirit's work. And I want to uh, remind us, I think this actually captures the best of all of the people that we heard before. Jose. Uh, Jose is grateful that God has spoken to him and made him alive in Jesus. Jose longs to know God better and he prays that God would grow him. He clings to God's word. He hears and trusts and believes and obeys, drinking up his words of life. He's conscious of the Spirit's work as he does this and he asks the Spirit to make the words clear to him to take away every barrier to hearing the word. He thanks the spirit who grows him and makes him daily more like Jesus. And he speaks the word to others too with a growing confidence that comes from his knowledge that just as God has turned on the lights in his heart, he might also do this in others. Friends, I think that's the kind of people we want to we wanna be. And how about I pray that we would be. Please join me. Father, we thank you so much that you've not remained hidden. We thank you so much for the light of the gospel that when we see Jesus, we see you in all of your fullness. Thank you that you are a wonderful God, a God rich in love, slow to anger, a just and a kind God. And Father, in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, we know you. And thank you so much, Father, too, that your spirit takes that knowledge and applies it deep in our heart that we might not remain in darkness, but see your light. And we praise him, we praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.